yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. place. Smell that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. So first with us today, we got Tone. What up? And also with us, we got Bugs. What it do? On the fourth mic today, we got Dan, the man. Lebatan. Present. I was ready. I was like sitting here. I was like, oh, it's my time. It's my time to, to shine. Wait till he says my motherfucking name. You wait. I'm going to intro so hard. you be like, God damn. Sammy intro. And the best <laughs> I came up with is, what up? <laughs> it's best not to overthink it, you yeah, know? Yeah. It is what it is. You know, shake it out. Whatever comes your way. Whatever comes your way. What a- Bugs. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? No, okay. maybe practice something. They're getting worse. <laughs> maybe, maybe think it through. Maybe give it a little bit. scratch that. <laughs> I feel like we all learned something here today. Uh, I feel like we're all walking away a little better, you know? So we got us a mixed drink today. It's not new to the podcast. We've had it before, but we got a highball. But it is bigger than any other highballs that we made on the podcast before. It's the biggest highball ever. Yeah. This fucking glass is filled to the rim. So for the people, maybe first time listening or don't know what a highball is, but a highball is basically whiskey and soda. Well, club soda. But club soda has now been kind of replaced with ginger ale. Hmm. But in Michigan, ginger ale just means Verner's. Verner's. So it's whiskey and Verner's. And then a citrus. Like, you could pick one. I would go with the orange because I don't – I like sour stuff, but not with my drinks usually. But we ordered Mexican food, and it came with a bunch of limes. Nice. <laughs> so I went with a lime today. See, at least when you make it, these are, like, good. I made one of these at home, but I'm horrible at drinking. So – uh it just tasted like Maker's Mark with, like, maybe a little aftertaste of Verner's. <laughs> like, the more and more I drank, the more I had to keep on adding Verner's so it tasted kind of like not just straight-up whiskey. Uh, I, I put it, The ratios go, were all off. Yeah, a little bit. Apparently, half and half isn't supposed to. <laughs> it's not how it goes. It's all about the ratios, man. Yeah. It'll be in the recipe uh, book that we release someday. <laughs> Bad Guy Recipes. Bad Guy Recipes. The highball. It's really just an article. <laughs> and then the next six pages are peanut butter whiskeys. <laughs> yeah. All my favorite ones. Well, no, I like peanut butter craft beers, too. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mix it up. I like peanut butter in all of its forms. So, but this whiskey, and I know you guys can't really taste it if you really want to, I put it in a glass for you, but it's, I've tried it. It's a good mixing whiskey. I'll tell you that. But it's a uh, Pendleton blended Canadian whiskey. Ooh. What was this called? A highball. Highball. Good highball, man. Yeah. Thanks. Delicious. Before we get started, I got to make sure I thank Suxpo Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro. You can follow him on Instagram. And then Cancer for letting us use his song in the mid-roll. You can follow him on Instagram at Eyes Bleed Defiance. You can see all his artwork on there. He did our logo. 
You can follow us at Buy a Guy Podcast on both Instagram and TikTok. And Twitter. The Bad Guy Pod on Twitter. And then if, you, if you're having a hard time finding any of the links, you can find them all at badguypodcast.com. Everything's clicked through on there. So today we're going to be covering the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. So we've covered the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, but we never really got into it because when you cover it over and over from these different angles, you just kind of skip most of it in general because you don't want to beat up a point. Beat around the bush. So we've actually beaten around the Valentine's Day Massacre bush for a whole year now. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're jumping in the motherfucker. Basically, I guess we'll start at why why did the St. Valentine's Day Massacre occur? We know Chicago Beer Wars... Capone's Southside Gang had been at war with the Northside Gang for almost a decade. They beat Deion O'Banion, then they beat Jaime Weiss, and then Bugs Moran took over. And they kind of was running shit through most of Bugs Moran's reign. But in the late 20s, like 1928, Bugs Moran kind of went on a fuck it campaign and launched like a German-style blitzkrieg. Like, yeah, Capone's got a big-ass gang and he's got all this muscle, but... Fuck it. Yeah. Or the, the Vietnam, the Tet Offensive. Let's go hit them hard, see how they like it. Fuck it, it's kind of my thing. 1928, New Year, New Me. We're on the Fuck It program. As they start moving into the operations, one of the big things they started with was the Gussenbergs relentlessly attacked Jack McGurk. They had shot him up pretty regularly. One time, on March 7th, 1928, at the McCormick Hotel, they hit him in the chest and arm. He almost died from that one. He's in the hospital. It actually went through his lung. He had problems like the rest of his life. That's <laughs> such a weird thing. So, you know, they go after Jack. Every, they just, like, shoot him every now and then. They just <laughs> see him around, give him a couple pew-pews. Just to let him know they're still thinking about him. Yeah. I'm going to try and avoid, keep saying, go listen to this episode through the whole episode. But, I mean, when you cover Jack McGurn, he was in a real precarious situation because the cops knew knew who he was. So they knew if they pulled him over, they could catch him with a gun. So if he didn't bring out a gun, then the Gussenbergs roll up on him and fucking light up his car and chase him down the street shooting him. What was that called? Vagrancy? Vagrancy, yeah. Yeah. So, so they, he was in a real catch-22. March 7th, 1928, they hit him pretty hard. And Jack McGurn, Jack McGurn and the Gussenbergs just really hate each other. The Gussenbergs were Moran's top hitmen. Gave him the iron lung. There's a handful of historians that think that that's the real reason that Jack McGurn was pushing the whole time just because he was frustrated with them. So he was in his ear like all day, every day, like, hey, let's just do something about these motherfuckers. I'm tired of getting shot at every time I go to the grocery store. I'm trying to get bananas, mm-hmm. low potassium, can't even leave the house without getting shot at. What the fuck? Like the cherry on the Sunday that sealed the deal was when Bugs Moran attempted to move in on the Union Siciliana. I mean, some would say nail in coffins, but cherry on Sundays. Yeah, that's whatever. How, that's how we do massacres. <laughs> little sweet treat. Yeah, that would have been better. I should have definitely said that. So the Union Siciliano was a huge deal for Capone. He wasn't Sicilian. It controlled the Sicilian vote. Whoever ran that ran most of Chicago. It was a big political power. It was like a, a key piece on the chessboard. Okay. You know, it was a big deal. Well, you can't be the mob unless you're running the mob. Bugs Moran decides he wants to take it over, and he's going to take over that vote. On January 8th, 1929, he arranged the shooting of Union President Pasqualino Lolordo, who was like a strict Capone guy. Mm. 
so Bugs Moran takes out his Union Siciliana guy and then decides moving his own guy. And this is where Capone's like, you know what? We're done. We're not fucking around no more. And you can see the timeline. January 8th to February 14th. We're looking at just over a month. Right. So he's like, you know what? Let's go with your plan and let's put it into gear. Jack McGurn's a master planner and he's pretty much universally credited for planning the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. The planning took over a month and involved an airtight alibi for him and Capone. He shipped Capone to his Miami mansion like weeks before. Down in Florida, just told him basically, do what you do. Go in front of cameras. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Hit the town. Well thought plan. You just do you. Yeah. McGurn also had two cars retrofitted with accessories to make them both look like police cars. Since the death of Frankie Yale, the Detroit Purple Gang had become a primary source for Canadian whiskey. Capone was a beer guy. They ran a beer operation. He always needed to bring whiskey in. Uh, it used to be Frankie L. They had a beef and a falling out. It turned into the Purple Gang. So they worked pretty close. In addition to using the Purple Gang for surveillance, the Purple Gang was also responsible for getting Bugs Moran to the location by offering a discounted shipment of hijacked Canadian whiskey. Word. So you got the outside players setting up all the chess pieces. And that's why we went with Canadian whiskey today. Oh. Purple what? gang. Get it? It's a Got thing. It. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, mm, this Canadian whiskey's real good. Yeah. But um, Bugs Moran thought he was getting some hijacked Canadian whiskey. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get one underneath Capone. Little did he know. Well, and that was one of the specific things, too. They said, hey, you want a you wanna shipment real cheap? It's a hijacked Capone shipment. Uh, so that really made Moran want to get it because that was like double the. First, you had my attention. Now, you you have my attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's widely believed Abe Birdstein made that call himself. Abe Birdstein's kind of the the, the leader. And it's also widely believed that Jack McGurn brought in out of town hitmen. So he brought in out of town people across the board. Use different people for everything. We're gonna use these guys for surveillance. We're gonna use these guys on the hit. We're gonna use these guys to get this car. We're gonna use these guys to get this car. It makes it hard as hell to trace. Dude, yeah. I just have this mental issue when you're going through all of these plans and stuff. I just get this mental image of Jack McGurn just being so giddy to do all this planning, like like a little girl playing in her sweet sixteen party. Like, <laughs> ooh, Allison, I get to do it. He's like, oh, I'm gonna get the purple game. They're gonna send him up. Them, these guys from out of town oh, it's gonna be so perfect oh you know what you know what you guys you know what tell them it's hell's whiskey <laughs> oh you're gonna love it you're gonna love it if he had an edge for the straight and narrow jack mcgurn could have been a sick event planner well it was either the streets or event planning and the streets found him first yeah so. it was a close call mobster would make a good event planner but Nothing is going to happen to ruin your beautiful day. Nothing. Not even a dumpster getting lit on fire. <laughs> the massacre obviously happens on February 14th. It's 1929. At roughly 1030 in the morning, four men walked into the SMC Cartage Company. The SMC Cartage Company is a warehouse at 2122 North Clark Street. Now, of the four men, two were dressed as police officers and carried shotguns. The other two were dressed in civilian clothes and overcoats. The two police officers entered through the back of the warehouse and lined up the seven men against the wall and disarmed them under the guise that it was a raid. The seven guys were their two top gunmen, Frank and Peter Gussenberg, Albert Kachalek, 
a.k.a. James Clark, who was Moran's second in command. There's Adam Hayer, who was the gang's bookkeeper. Nerd. <laughs> right, bookkeeper. Reinhardt Schwimmer was an optician, who was also a professional gambler and gang associate. There was Albert Weinshank, who he ran several cleaners for Bugs Moran, and he's believed to be the man that was mistaken for Bugs. They were the same height and similar build, and that day he happened to be wearing a coat that looked like Bugs Moran's coat. And so, said Bugs real big on the back. <laughs> so they think that Weinshank is the reason that they moved forward and said, lookout said, yeah, we're good to go. Bugs is there. Number seven is John May, a car mechanic. They yeah, see so that's the, a, so they see Shank getting out the car, and they're like, Jack McGurn sitting up in his like nest, and they're like, we got him. Bugs is finally here. We're going to get him. Literally, they know. It's just old William Shank. See, if it was Jack McGurn, Jack McGurn probably would have spotted him. But Jack McGurn had to have an alibi so he couldn't uh, be there. So he had the Purple Gang on surveillance, who's good, but they're not from Chicago. So right. Like, yeah. That looks like the dude we've been we've been here for a week. That looks like him. I just got caught up yeah. in uh Dan's event planner story. Jack McGurn <laughs> figured he was watching it all. He is gonna have a fucking tizzy when he learns his plans went awry. He's gonna be pissed. That's what I, like all this had because the one dude looks like him. You think when they bust in and got shot, they were in the middle of an argument? Yeah, you look just like Bugs. He's like, I don't look anything <laughs> like him. And then they came and said, Bugs, freeze! And the guy's like, see, I fucking told you. <laughs> and that was their last words. Hey, that looks like the boss's coat. He's not going to like that. He let me borrow it for the day. Mine wasn't dry cleaning. <laughs> see, that's the lesson of the day. Just be you, man. Don't try to be like your boss. Be yourself. He sent them out there. He was like, hey, what? Yeah. this coat looks nice on you. <laughs> yeah. Untold story. Bugs the whole time gets this call like, hey, we got a hijacked Capone shipment. Like, come pick it up. He's like, hey, Shank, come here real quick. Take this jacket. <laughs> ride with these seven. Well, so the real story, Bugs was on his way there, but he was running late. Oh. And by the time he got there late, he seen the cop cars parked in front. And he's like, oh, shit, it's a raid. Let's bounce. He actually seen the Gussenberg's youngest brother, too, and told him, like, hey, let's go meet back up at the, uh, let's hit the backup spot. The cops raided the fucking deal or whatever. So they kind of got fucked by their own trickery. Right. If it wasn't a cop car, he might have just still strolled up. Like, they'd have been in the middle of the massacre and Bugs just walks in. Like, hey, what's going on here? Jack McGurn's too smart for his own good. (laughs) It's like uh, Wile Coyote. His Acme rocket just blew up in his face. So they line up these seven guys, and then once the cops got them disarmed and lined up, they let in the two other guys from the front. The two men with overcoats had Thompson submachine guns. They emptied into them the men from behind, sweeping from left to right. They emptied a 20-round clip and a 50-round drum into them. The other two finished off John May and James Clark with shotguns to the face. Damn. Damn, face. Firing squad execution. So this is one of the guys you see, that got hit in the face with a shotgun. Where's his face? Over there in the corner. <laughs> right. What's fucked up is one of the two guys that got finished off with the shotguns, one of the two was the mechanic, mm. and they say it was probably because he moaned. Oh, oh, so we got a loudmouth over here, dude. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Shut his ass up. Oh, so we got a moaner. So it seems like the reason that they went with a 50-round drum and a 20-round clip is that the drums had higher capacity, but they were more prone to jam. Mm. Where the twenty round clips, they went real fast, but they were money. Ooh, you know it's the I mean? smoothest twenty rounds. 
So they wanted to go with two drums, but they were like, look, just in case they jam, we got to make sure we got one ready to rock. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would suck if you go, ah, fuck. I only got two off. (laughs) The car mechanics (laughs) just stand there like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) I just work here, bro. I promise I can fix your police cars outside. And that's when the shotgun guys are just like, ha my Buckshot, buckshot, buckshot. <laughs> Excuse me, fellas, I got this one. So, like, a lot of times you hear, like, the St. Valentine's Day massacre, you hear, like, hundreds of bullets, or this one, it was exactly 72. 50-round drum, 20-round clip, <laughs> so shotgun, that... shotgun. Buckshot, buckshot. <laughs> that means that 50-round drum didn't jam, though. Yeah. 72 bullets. See? So you could have had fucking, uh... Could have had a hundred, man. Patted them stats. Did they count every single bullet in that body? Everybody else was dead when they arrived, except for Frank Gussenberg. Because he knew not to moan. <laughs> he kept saying he's not going to talk. They rushed him to the hospital. They tried to save his life to get him to talk. Legend has it that he told the police when they asked who shot him, he told them nobody shot him. It just, <laughs> just happened. <laughs> That's pretty gangster, though, man. Yeah. Oh, you've never poked bullets in DSLs before? Right, I mean, he's probably about to die and you're still not talking. That's pretty gangster. When they left the warehouse, they left with the two civilians appearing to be in custody by the police officers. So the police officers walked him out with the Tommy guns under arrest. For a long time, people thought they used one car. They used two cars. The four men came in two different cars. They all just left in one. Mm. (laughs) One car, you stupids. (laughs) <laughs> the two vehicles were a 1926 Peerless and a 1927 Cadillac that were fitted to look like the police cars. Within a month, both vehicles were found cut up and burnt. One was burnt on purpose. The other one was cut up and burnt because when they were cutting it up, one messed up with the blowtorch and lit the garage on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the only survivor of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre was the mechanic's dog. Well, he ain't talking. It was a German Shepherd named Highball. Nice. Whoa. Whoa. Now it all comes together. So wait, we're drinking his dog? Yep. With Canadian whiskey and that fucking German Shepherd. I like, as soon as you mentioned highball, now we all, we're all like, oh yeah, let's drink this. Let's drink that highball. We have one of those. That reminds me. Well, I've always known the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and I guess when you got the Purple Gang, I knew it would be Canadian whiskey, but I just found out the highball thing, and I'm like, dude, I got Canadian whiskey. I can make a highball out of that. And do a podcast about it. It's all badass, though. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was an extremely traumatic event, and the dog <laughs> had to be put down within what? a week afterwards. Oh, yeah, the dog had, was pretty fucked up. Well, my well, dog gets messed up with crack. a red light, so I can't imagine what this dog gone through watching everybody get massacred. Yo, kill a kill, yo. Kill a kill. Kill a kill. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got a German shepherd that fucking loses its shit if somebody comes to drop off a package. Like, let alone through fucking 72 rounds of gunshots and watching fucking your owner be murdered. Probably didn't sit well with him. So, it's cool they got this pretty picture of that cop with highball. And then, like, a couple days later, like, yeah, put this crazy fucker down. Right. Probably just started biting everybody. See, if only Caesar Milan was back then, he could have helped. All right. We're going to take a real quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute. Brownies, 
I'm tearing you down with me. Spit like the barren rulers of bread like Kaiser. Roll with the goal and get beaten like outsiders. These amateur animals swing in the wrong jungle. Climbing the wrong vines mean these lions will snuff you. Concrete wilderness building our own structures. Writing our own order, appointing our own judges. Overthrowing authority, morally lack conscience. Fighting for survival with rivals with throat punches. So, in the immediate aftermath, the whole thing goes off without a hitch. Bam. They're gone. It actually takes the police a little bit to get there because they thought police had already been there, you know, so they didn't get called right away. But yeah. Why would I call the police? <laughs> we just watched the police take a couple of people. I mean, I remember when uh, my neighbor's house, there's a house that uh, caught on fire like, across the alley from me. And I was like, oh, shit, there's a fire. But I immediately saw, like, some lights flickering on the other side of the house. I'm like, oh, they're good. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't feel the need to check anything. So, like, if I heard gunshots, but then, like, I saw a cop car and the cops there already, I wouldn't think to do <laughs> shit. Yeah, they, they got it. No, the cops it's, are there. it's all handles. 
So then now the cops are like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, this is fucked up. He just killed all these people, got away with it, smooth. We got nothing going on. So their first thought is, this sounds like Jack McGurn. Got to be Jack McGurn. So <laughs> there's a crime. There's some killing. We don't know how the fuck they did it. It's got to be Jack. Yeah. So they go on a manhunt. They find him, and he's holed up in a hotel with his new mistress, who is an aspiring showgirl named Louise Rolf. So they storm in, bust them both, and uh, arrested her and Louise. Her, her and Louise. <laughs> Jack McGurn and Louise. So they're like, bam, we got it. Jack McGurn, we found him. He's at a hotel. He's part of this girl. And she loved it. Like, she was trying to be Hollywood anyway. So, so she was, like, now posing. in the papers. Yeah, she was posing for pictures and shit. And they were, like, uh, <coughs> interviewing her. She was doing interviews, answering questions. She'd answer and talk to the cops. She was like, fuck yeah, I'm, I'm famous. I knew I was going to be famous. <laughs> See, that's I was a- getting some gangster dick and some yeah. police came in. <laughs> that's Jack McGurn plans everything to the point you know he knew they would come to find him and shit. So he said, all right, the cops go, I'm going to go to a hotel till the cops come yeah. to the door. And the whole time they're probably being all over that hotel room. And he's just telling them, like, yeah, the cops are going to be here. There's going to be cameras. On. How many cameras are there going to be? There's going to be, be famous, so baby, I promise. Oh, yeah. You know the dirty talk that was happening during that? And she was getting all hot because she obviously wanted the fame. He was like... We're going to be so famous when the cops come here. We're going to be on all the papers, all the papers. Front page news, your name all over. Yeah. That's probably where he was. I'm going to plan this perfect. I'm going to make this. That's her? Yeah. I'm going to make this murder so perfect they're going to catch me banging out this broad. Clearly, that's why she wanted to be on the front page news so bad. She's willing to do this. She probably wasn't getting a lot of acting gigs. She's following Kanye's workout plan. Um... (laughs) Clever to put it in that old timey. She's got the yams. Yeah, she does got some yams. (laughs) I don't even like yams. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as much as she loved the press and shit, she hated the press dubbed her the blonde alibi. Mm. Because he basically got off because at the end of the day, they had no fucking case because he was in a hotel where you check in. You know, so they have it like, yeah, I know him from this date to this date. He's up in that hotel. And she was like, yeah, we've been uh, banging up in this hotel for days. He was getting off all weekend, and the cops showed off, and he got off again. Well, she's mad because she's being used for this hotel thing. But these two pitchers, they've been together for months, probably. Well, they ended up getting married. So oh, he, okay. Yeah. But this, he was still married. Well, okay, we'll get to that. But no, he they he married her and was together with her till he died after that. Well, I mean, it's wearing a onesies on the beach, so they did wear onesies back then, man. That was beach attire. Bugs. Well, you I see, mean, you see how you can kind of see the shortest shorts possible. <laughs> like, is that her stomach or is that a belt? I think that's a belt. I was gonna say, like, that was, was it... as much skin as you get. Yeah. <laughs> like they they were probably pushing it. Like Jack McGurn was known as like a fucking. He's a good-looking jock guy and shit. That was, like, the fucking as in as you could get, man. So this was, like, an old-school Instagram photo. <laughs> That's what we're seeing right now. Since they never found enough evidence to convict Jack McGurn of the massacre, they ended up convicting him of a violation of the Man Act, which is... Uh, Taking a girl across state lines to fuck. Yeah. What? Yeah. It's, what? uh... What? Yeah. Pretty much. You, you take, take a, a girl across state lines to fuck... I created the Man Act a few months ago. 
Well, okay, here's... It's tough to explain. <laughs> what? Excuse me? He um, got a kick out of it. I had, to, I had to think about it for a second. I was like, what did you just say? Well, there's a difference, though. You're talking about your lady. So the reason he got caught with the man act... We covered this real good. I should have looked it back up again. I covered it. I covered it in the Jack McGurn episode and shit. So the Mad Act was originally for what was called white slavery, which is when they were shipping like prostitutes and stuff. So it made it illegal. They're trying to keep you from taking women across state lines for immoral purposes, which meant prostitution, which meant you couldn't take women and send them somewhere to be prostitutes. But then, as the law sat on the books, just like vagrancy, it became taken across the state line for immoral purposes is flexible depending on what you think immoral is. So the reason the reason they got him on it was he met this girl, he fell in love, and they went on this this like this big vacation. You know what I mean? Where they went to fucking Miami and hung out with Al Capone and they golfed and they went... fuck tour nineteen twenty nine. Fuck yeah. tour nineteen twenty nine. Banger Palooza! <laughs> it it kind of sounds like a moral purposes now that you talk about it. Like, yeah, I guess Bang Tour. We fuck the most from coast to coast, bitches! I believe that was on the headlines in the newspapers. Yeah, that's why they got all these cool photos of them on the beach and shit. <laughs> Hashtag relationship yeah. goals. Fucked here. You fucked there. <laughs> That's what all of them are. <laughs> fucked here. <laughs> this is Arkansas. Motherfucker. Hot Springs. More gangster shit. About to go on you know that like good that. old Johnny Cash song? <gasps> Arkansas, Washington, Kentucky, Tennessee, brother. I fuck everywhere, man. I fuck everywhere. It's about to be my theme song. <laughs> but since Jack McGurn was married... And this was his side chick that made it immoral. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Caught up. yeah. But we was split up. <laughs> we decided to take a break. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. Well, they found him guilty of the Man Act because uh, they got some real super conservative judges why. that were like, "Yes, you can't just bunch go of, on bang tour." Bunch of prudes. That's yeah. why side chicks are always on the left. They of, ain't right. Bunch of Karens and Darrens out here. Some Jack judges Karen's had never been on a bank tour before. <laughs> Jack McGurn appealed his conviction on the Man Act all the way to the Supreme Court, which there is a real... His name is Vincent Gibaldi. Gibaldi. There's an official Supreme Court legislation that was the United States government versus Gibaldi, which he beat. So he beat it in the Supreme Court. So it's still a statute, but it's not his real name. His name's not... Not Gibaldi. Really? Gibaldi. Yeah. <laughs> Vincenzo Gibaldi. But they call it, it was Vincenzo Gibaldi, but he moved to America, and the way Americans say Gibaldi. Yeah. They call it Gibaldi. So it was an accent or whatever. So he had he had to go all the way to the Supreme Court to justify. Nah, I just took a room banging the hotel rooms. The reason he got off on it is because when they got to the Supreme Court, their case ultimately ended up being like. We really never thought we'd get it originally, <laughs> so we were surprised it stuck this long. We was pissed because we tried. They thought if they held them on the Man Act, they could find more evidence on the St. Valentine's Day massacre, uh, but they never did. So they were just like, "Charge them with this. Let's keep them," and they never found it. So now they're in the Supreme Court and they're like, "Give us your evidence," and they're like, "Whoa, we we're, we're trying to do this other thing." And we gotta, <laughs> it turns checks out, out. Like checks out. He's in this hotel all day, every day. So it did check out. You think like 
to get all the way to the Supreme Court, like, it went through appeals and all that shit happened, like, a while after the whole massacre and everything. So you think, like, he's hanging out with, like, all his mobster buddies. Ah, oh, man, I gotta go to court again over this fucking man act thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Jack, just let it go, dude. <laughs> like, we got away with the murdering people. <laughs> now she's your wife. Just let it go. Just stop appealing it. Just... No, man, they're saying it wasn't cool that we, we fucked. They're against fuck to her, bro. I told you, fuck to her. 29, can't, we can't be stopped. It would come aboard the pussy train, dude. Choo-choo. So, they can't fucking stop me, bro. So they want to convict him of the St. Valentine's Day massacre. They can't. So they at least convict him of banging a side chick. And then eventually you still beat him on that. So, he eventually gets off on the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. The police, at one point, they also tried to announce John Scalise and Albert Anselmi, the murder twins, as suspects. And that was a real, like, I mean, uh... The fact they're known as the murder twins doesn't help their case. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what it was, was, okay, well, somebody had to do it. I think it could be the murder twins. And people were like, yeah, good call. <laughs> let's, let's find the murder twins. But they were both found dead, beat to death, and shot in a trunk in Hammond, Illinois, on May 8th, 1929. No evidence was ever found of their involvement. They're like, oh, that's why they call them the murder twins. They get murdered. They get so murdered. Weren't they, hold, like, dead holding hands? No, that was the Siamese twins. Oh, okay. They were in the Purple Gang. They, we'll get to them, too. My bad. Um, we got all expect- kinds of twins. I got this excited. Is a, this is a multi-twin story, actually. They, we'd double it up like IPA. Well, actually, that's where we're at. So, <laughs> by later in the story, he means now. Now. <laughs> so, it turns out you weren't ahead of yourself. It was a perfect segue. Known members of the Detroit Purple Gang, George Lewis, Eddie Fletcher, who's one of the Siamese twins, and then Phil and Harry Keywell were identified by landladies of the boarding house directly across from the SMC Cartage. And they stated that they rented a room 10 days before the massacre. All the Purple Gang members were brought in for questioning. The witnesses later wavered on their testimony. And all of them were cleared on charges on the St. Valentine's Day massacre. When you look at the hierarchy of the Purple Gang, you got the Bernstein brothers. Abe Bernstein probably made the call to tell Bugs to be there. Uh, you got the Siamese twins, one of which is Abe Axler and Eddie Fletcher. Eddie Fletcher for sure checked in in a room across the street for the SMC Cartage Company. And then both of the Keywell brothers, well, two of the three Keywell brothers. So that's kind of like the cream of the crop, right. the Purple Gang. That's not like entry-level guys. That's the Purple Gang. Yeah. So he uh, he brought in the best of the best for this operation. Jack McGurn ain't bringing in no amateurs. That ain't how Jack McGurn does it. This was his first time to shine, and he was taking full advantage. The best of the best. High balling. You know how much he was excited to plan this? He wasn't, like, cut quarters. (laughs) We're having two sets of twins on this job. He was right for this. What's commonly accepted as the shooters on the St. Valentine's Day Massacre is Fred Burke and the American Boys, which is a group of Irish gangsters from St. Louis that were originally Egan's Rats that went to World War One and came <laughs> back better at shooting <laughs> machine guns, yeah. basically. The first break that anybody ever got in the investigation 
was when in late December in St. Joseph, Michigan, when Fred Burke was hiding under the alias Fred Dane and got caught drunk and driving and hit another car. So he ends up trying to run or whatever. This cop chases him down. There ends up fleeing a scene and he kills a patrolman named Charles Skelly. So he can't even hide out without killing a cop. That's like your worst fear. You hit a car and a cop starts following you. So you start running, but you're drunk. So you're like running in slow motion. <laughs> it's like a dream. You're like stuck. When Charles Skelly got shot by Fred Burke, he was on Fred Burke's running boards. Wow. Should have got off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to be a hero. Ain't a fire truck. You're not going to get that promotion, bro. <laughs> At the time, they don't know it's Fred Burke. They just know some guy hit a car and killed a cop, and they got his car. Right. So it's registered to Fred Dane. So then they find Fred Dane's house, and it turns out Fred Dane is Fred Burke. And uh, when they raid his house, they find his arsenal. Yeah. yeah. Bullets and yeah. drums and guns. Say over 5,000 yeah. bullets, bulletproof vests, yeah, smoke bombs. They had bulletproof vests back then. <clears throat> I mean, it looks like some kind of... Yeah. I mean, it wasn't yeah, honestly, as... It just looks like a piece of leather. More bulletproof. More bulletproof. <laughs> yeah. When we covered Killer Burke originally, we said at one point, they captured his arsenal and they're like, he had a shotgun, a rifle, Tommy guns, blah, blah, and a couple boxes of pistols. Well, now I see, oh yeah, they got big ass boxes. That's when you know you're a bad motherfucker, you just got pistols by the bundle. Box-o-pistols. Grab a box of pistols on your way out. (laughs) Yeah, I got my pistols over in the box. Oh, you have, like, a lock box, like, for this pistol? It's a case? No, I got a box of pistols over in the corner. (laughs) A milk crate. Yeah. Um, They're bringing all his guns, those two Tommy guns. They're known as serial number 2347 and the other one's 7580. Um, They were both, when they did the ballistics on it, they were both used at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And one was also used in the murder of Frankie Yale. They're both currently held at the Michigan State Police in Berrien County's office. You can go see them. Hmm. Damn, all got busted because he drunk drove. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre, even with the two guns, was too questionable. But they for sure had them on killing the police officer, Charles Skelly. So they dropped all the other charges and just convicted him of the murder of the police and gave him life in prison. Hmm. So when they... Dropped all the charges and just charged them for the, the murder. That was officially like, we don't got anybody on the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So they're like, well, that's it. I don't know. Yeah. I guess, I guess they got away with it. Shit. <laughs> you think that's what they did? They got in the break room like, well, we just got him for life for killing the skeleton guy. Well, shit. I guess we got nothing. I'm going to go out of the smoke now. Yeah. <laughs> January 8, 1935, Byron Bolton was arrested in connection with the Barker gang. He was arrested in a shootout, I believe. There's a lot of bees in that sentence. Well, you know the Barker gang, right? It was a bunch of brothers with the mom right. or whatever. He rolled with them. He was like one of the last ones to go, but he eventually flipped and shit. Mm. <clears throat> and he gave up a lot of stuff. And he gave up Fred Burke, Gus Winkler, Fred Goats, Bob Carey, Crane Neck Nugent, and Claude Maddox. <laughs> <laughs> the poor guys that did the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Damn, is there anyone he didn't give up? <laughs> Shit. So they said that was the, the six guys, the four shooters and the two drivers. Oops, got away with it. I would have got away with it too if it weren't for you damn cops. <laughs> well, I mean, they still all did. By the time he told on them, they were all, like, oh. they were all either in prison or <laughs> dead on something else. Uh. 
So he didn't snitch on like nobody got caught on it. That was just once he flipped mm-hmm. and he just gave him a bunch of shit. And then uh Gus Winkler's wife and then Elvin Carpus, who one day we might cover. Elvin his name's <laughs> Elvin Creepy Carpus. Yeah. Elvin Carpus and Gus Winkler. Like, <laughs> those names do not belong in a mob story. So basically everybody that's ever been connected to the St. Valentine's Day massacre outside of Fred Burke and his gang is Jack McGurn. There is a theory that Jack McGurn slept with his old lady till she passed out, snuck out, went and did the St. Valentine's Day massacre and snuck back in before she noticed he was gone. Or that she just flat out lied, which I mean, I guess that's kind of believable. She could just fucking lie. Um, some people have Tony Accardo there, and then the murder twins are always, you know, names involved. But pretty much seems like he wanted to do everything out of town. He had all these out of town. Yeah, I don't think he would do all that planning and then sneak out while his girls were like. Yeah. I think it's more believable the story of like, yeah, he did all the good planning. Like, what are you gonna do, Jack? gonna fuck this bitch in a hotel wait for right, the cops yeah. to come yeah i'm not gonna be there fucking yeah. think i'm stupid <laughs> that wouldn't make much sense <laughs> right i planned all this shit y'all do the dirty work technically nobody ever knows so it is what it is but we know bad guy podcast and no killer burke killer burke did it okay his no boys <laughs> bunch of fucking midwest guys because you can't fuck with those midwest boys <laughs> they were from new york and they weren't italian <laughs> they fucking shot them all the wall from the saint valentine's day massacre was bought by a businessman installed in the men's room of a Vancouver nightclub behind the urinals. When the nightclub went under, and the wall was acquired by the Mob Museum in Las Vegas, where it's still at today. Fred Burke's home in Stevensville, Michigan, is still there, but it's no longer a home. Now it's a Caldwell Banker real estate office. I seen something that said all the employees are well aware of the house's history. What that tells me is people are calling them, bugging them. Yeah. About Killer Burke and the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah, we know. We're all hip. We get it. And that's the story of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. Woo! Before we go, you guys got anything? That was a lot more in depth than anything we heard before about this i was gonna say this is something different because like we normally are covering a person this is the first time we've actually dug deep into an event so it's kind of cool to hear the details and different stories and cover bigger people than what we normally would digging hard and touching deep (laughs) (laughs) Jack McGurn style. Put up, <laughs> sneak out for a massacre day. <laughs> touch deep. Plan hard, touch deep. Jack McGurn story. <laughs> Stopped and got bagels too. <laughs> Alright, so this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming and thanks for listening. Buck Fest 29! To the bad guy, bad guy. the good guy coming last place. Last Smell place. that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I like my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell the dope when I pass by. Last place.
had to be dad. Spent my birthdays in the trap. We had to work with what we had. She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man. Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam, man. And I don't need a hundred friends. I just want a hundred bands, a hundred jugs, a hundred scams, eh? So out of money, grabbed a hundred hams. Said out of money, grabbed a bunch of bands. And I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm blowing crud for my mental life. And I still keep it on me. Run into your big homie for you meet your dead homie. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. I like my money at a fast pace. Bad guy, good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy, good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy, good guy coming last place. You sm